Hey everyone, it's Ryan again with the Blockchain Podcast. It's uh, been a little bit of time since my last podcast, I think a couple weeks. And over that time I've been thinking a lot about how blockchain and distributed ledger technology really fits in to the entire kind of technical, um, economic, financial, whatever you want to call it, ecosystems, because it touches a lot of different areas. But I continue to come back to the idea of you know, where does this, uh, where is blockchain's place? Uh, where is its value? Is it wise to invest in different platforms or different ICOs? And it's actually been, you know, as I've said in my other podcasts, a bit difficult to discern where these things fall. And so I, I've been putting a lot of thought into this and I've kind of come to the conclusion that ultimately the blockchain technology and use of it needs to uh, obviously add value. It needs to have a competitive advantage or um, differentiation over centralized sort of systems. Uh, because at the core, blockchain is actually just a terrible database. You know, it's a database that's distributed, so you have a lot of redundant information. You have bandwidth that has to be used, which again is sending redundant information. Um, you have a CPU power that's needed as you're kind of looking through all these transactions and it continues to grow and grow and grow again on multiple machines. And so it's actually a really terrible database if you really break it down. So it would always be, you know, for a particular application, more efficient to use a standalone database that, you know, is on a single machine or across multiple, multiple machines or sharded or something like that. But it's it's really just an inefficient sort of a database and so that distributed nature though is obviously necessary for this kind of trustless you know public uh, system and i think those are kind of value propositions if you will you know the blockchain being distributed in and of itself is not you know very interesting um, but it being public and other people being able to see it is interesting and it just happens to be that distributing it is the right way to do that so that everyone can download the blockchain have access to it know what's going on be able to kind of audit transactions see transactions um, etc etc and be able to also interact with it you know uh, by having access to it so you know, a database in a typical software company, you can't really query. Um, well, you can. It's, you know, private. It's behind the scenes. You can query your own account or you can query certain information that you're given access to. But with blockchain uh, technology and how it's distributed and so forth, um, everyone has access to it. So it's a public ledger. So that's one of the big value propositions that I see is that, you know, you have public information, and whether that's a registry, whether that's assets, whether that's title to something. And so that is interesting. Um, but, you know, you could also have something like, uh, you know, and I don't know the exact underpinnings of, say, the NASDAQ or, you know, these commodities and so forth, but someone's obviously keeping track of those in a centralized way. And there's probably a handful of players who uh, keep tabs on, you know, that ledger, if you will. But with blockchain, again, it's uh, ideally distributed to a bunch of different people. And so far, it's in a manageable state and growing at a manageable rate for, say, Bitcoin and many other coins that it's, uh, it's, it's possible for everyday people with a reasonable computer to download the entire blockchain and have access to it and be able to query it and uh, see what's going on. So that's one, again, like I said, value proposition. So I, I've been thinking very hard about how that affects different industries, what industries need certain information to be public or all information to be public, or who would want um, that to be distributed across a lot of different nodes so people have access to it so it's not siloed. So, you know, kind of racking my brain around that. The other interesting 
portion of it is that it's uh, for the most part uh, immutable it's not changing now you can caveat that with if a whole bunch of people you know the nodes and the miners all agree to you know change something they can do that and you can fork something but inherently you know it's kind of this uh, the states are kind of set the database is written and that's that and so you can't change it so this immutable nature has also you know some interesting properties where if, whereas if it was a centralized system there can always be someone who you know goes in and changes some of the um, some of the information uh, or they can put information in that they want in there and it's not necessarily you know public as to what happened it's not exactly you know uh, honest but with blockchain technology and you know kind of again this distributed public ledger you could have this uh, ability to um, make it immutable by just nature of the cryptography and all of that and the mining and so forth and so on. And so you have a persistent record that is kind of predictable in its history. And so that's kind of, you know, could be interesting for certain uh, areas as well. For example, if someone is, you know, uh, has title to something at some time, that's kind of on the record and that's done. If you have a license to something, you could put that on the on the chain. If someone spent something at a particular time, um, again, that's on that's on record and it prevents double spending. And so there's lots of applications where having that immu uh, immutable aspect is uh, pretty important. Um, the other aspect that uh, a lot of people don't talk about is just kind of that it's a predictable system. And I think that's partially why Bitcoin in and of itself, a lot of people um, were uh, or gravitated towards it in the beginning was that uh, unlike the uh, financial system that we have and that we had back uh, in 2007, 2008, you know, no one really knew what the central banks were doing. And even today, the central banks are, you know, doing whatever they feel like, you know, they have certain mandates, but it's not transparent. Um, it's very difficult to discern what's going on. And with, say, uh, Bitcoin or, you know, cryptocurrency specifically, or even, you know, uh, assets or securitized sort of blockchains, you can have a track record. Everyone knows what's going on. And so that information is visible and predictable. The inflation rate's predictable. The mining rate, the you know amount of new coin, the fees are predictable to a certain extent. I mean, in the moment, it's you know kind of an auction system. But overall, you have a very solid model for what the economics and monetary system look like. So that's a good thing. Um, markets can then react and they can plan and they can do what they need to around that. The bad thing if you're kind of in the Keynesian school of economics is you, you don't really have a lot of levers or really any levers to influence uh, uh, the money system. So you don't have um, the ability to manipulate it or and others may say help if there's some sort of crisis and say bitcoin really takes off and then we have some sort of crypto crash for whatever reason or the uh, mining rates or someone does a 51 percent attack you know you're attacking a huge monetary system and uh, there's really not many many tools to uh, mitigate that uh, let's see what else I already touched the public aspect. I think the censorship resistant aspect is also interesting where, you know, you can try and, uh, you know, shut down one aspect of it. But, you know, there's all a whole bunch of redundant uh, components. So if you had a software company or you had some sort of data that you were housing somewhere and say a government didn't like that, they could come in and they could censor it and they could shut down or they could take over your operation. However, with, you know, Bitcoin or other blockchain tech, you know, it's distributed all over the place. Um, someone else will pop up and, you know, take over. Different miners will help out, different nodes will help out, and so it's very, very difficult to um, destroy it. If, if I mean, it's really impossible to destroy it um, without taking out everything, um, and so or 
yeah, another way to destroy, you know, it is to, to get more hashing power or for a proof of stake system, you know, uh, getting again over whatever percentage, 51% attack and the nothing at stake problem. And then you can have a dishonest uh, sort of staker and you can have all sorts of problems there. So, you know, it's kind of a long winded way to kind of um, talk about this distributed, immutable, secure, predictable, public censorship resistant technology and so the question still becomes is this an investable area because these are just features of a technology and as it's implemented say with bitcoin it is implemented as a currency and other people have some smart contracts like rootstock and other things that will be built around it and there's lightning network uh that will be used as you know payment channels and things like that so it's having these other kind of components built on top of it but at its core it's you know a currency that is uh, supposed to be um, accepted, adopted, and then as more and more people use it, there's more demand for it, there's more things denominated it, in it, and the real key aspect with a currency is that people trust it. So if people don't trust a currency, and really anything could be a currency, I mean, there's been lots of different currencies over time, you know, gold, silver, shells, rocks, um, you know, goats, whatever, there's been lots of things bartered, and so you can use lots of things uh, as currency, but, you know, again, people have to all agree that it's a currency, they have to have faith in it, they have to accept it, they have to believe that the next guy is going to take it, they have to be able to pay their debts um, with it, and if, if those things all come together, then you have this, you know, growing uh, uh, economic activity around the currency, you probably have some price appreciation in the currency relative to other currencies, and then, you know, you have appreciation for Bitcoin until it kind of stabilizes or crashes after a bubble, and but eventually it should stabilize to something, and it should be uh, related to the economic activity uh, with that currency or speculation or um, a value uh, ascribed by, you know, the store of value aspect, though I don't know if it actually is um, a store of value. People like to say that it's a store of value, kind of like gold. Um, I can see that aspect, but gold you can't replicate. It's, it's matter. It's physical. It's, it's dictated by physics and quantum mechanics, and it has this many electrons and this many protons and neutrons and all these things, and gold is really gold, right? Um, and it appears different than any other element. So it's, it's really a fundamental building block of, uh, of the universe, if you will. Whereas Bitcoin, it does have, um, you know, these immutable, finite sort of properties, but it's really not gold um, because you can create another blockchain, right? You can create Litecoin, you can create Zencash, you can create Zcash, Monero, Bitcoin Cash. And so it, it's not actually fundamentally um, irreplaceable, whereas gold is, you know, as they say, all the gold, you know, in the world or ever mind or whatever it is would fit in two Olympic size swimming pools. Um, with like platinum or pl uh, palladium or whatever, I don't, I can't remember which one's more rare than the other, but uh, um, it would fit in basically a living room. So there's very, very little of these elements, and uh, they just can't be created. There's no, there's no way to just create them out of thin air, uh, barring some sort of nuclear reaction, and then you're going to have some, you know, uh, very small amount that spin off or decay or whatever the case may be. So anyway, it's it's not actually. Uh, possible to recreate these uh, elements whereas again like i said with a currency you can and where that currency is actually garnering its value um, is that uh, people believe it it's just a belief system just like the u.s dollar started out i'm sure as a belief system and then ended up being that um, 
it was an economic driver in the sense that uh, there was a lot of activity going on in the U.S. or wherever else, or the euro or the yen, and uh, a lot of uh, people needed those currencies to buy those products and so forth and so on. So if I'm exporting a lot of stuff, you need dollars to pay me because that's what we use, and then there's demand for this currency, and so you get this complex economic activity and, and financial system and you know whatever you want to – what economics that occur – and again, if Bitcoin gets that in, say, the digital world or, or uh, otherwise, it'll become, you know, a very valuable currency the world over. And I think it will, if nothing else, because of the brand and uh, the technical development on it, even though, you know, there's some things that are wanting. There is uh, movement on that, but I won't talk about the politics of the technology. But, but the point being that as a currency, um, there is a pathway towards significant appreciation um, without necessarily investment fundamentals, um, currencies are more of a trade than an investment, right? You don't typically invest in a currency. It doesn't have, you know, employees. It doesn't have IP. It doesn't have a structure. It doesn't have dividends. Uh, that's, you know, a currency is just something that you trade, right? You trade it for goods. You, know, you trade it for services. You trade it for other currencies. And so I look at Bitcoin as less of an investment nowadays and more of a trade. Because eventually you're either going to trade out of it or, um, no, well, eventually you're going to trade out of it. So you're either going to trade back for dollars or you're going to trade for some sort of goods or services. I think people will use the, the word investment loosely because obviously if you make money, they say, oh, I invested in it and you know, I made money. But, you know, it's really a trade. And I, I know that's a bit nuanced. But an investment I look at more as something that you're putting money in. Um, they're going to grow and build this company. They're going to gather more market share. It's going to become more valuable. Um, they're going to hire more employees. They're going to generate IP. And so you're investing in this. And in that investment is basically deploying your capital to grow this uh, venture. And that venture you know, produces economic activity. And that economic activity is what you share. And so that's more of what an investment is. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm splitting hairs or maybe I'm looking at it uh, in a, you know, a, a different light, but, you know, people can invest in bonds and other things too. And that's, that's an investment in a different way where someone needed, you know, cash, they sold bonds, they said, hey, I'm going to pay you back at this rate over this period of time. And someone said, okay, here's the money, you can borrow it. And so that's a different sort of investment where, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, someone's borrowing money, someone's uh, providing that capital, and uh, you're getting paid uh, for access to capital. So that's an investment as well, as people think traditionally. But again, that's structured as kind of cash flow, or that's structured as, you know, for a venture as a acquisition or a payout or capital gain or just dividends or something to that effect. Again, but with a currency, you, you don't have any of that. So with any of these cryptocurrencies, you don't have any of that. So again, I, I think they're trades. Um, more than they are investments. And I think the only way that they will really, you know, be good trades is if they are broadly adopted, people are broadly trust them, people are broadly aware of them, and they become useful in commerce and have a large economic footprint. Uh, and that's going to occur over time. Um, but with all of these two, we're, again, still in the early days to where a lot of different things could happen to um, cause a lot of issues with any of the current cryptocurrencies. So that's kind of how I'm looking at the cryptocurrencies. And then I kind of jumped over to smart contracts, you know, like Ethereum, um, NEO, 
um, and then the next gen stuff like EOS or Cardano or some of these others. And this is where it gets a little bit more difficult. And, and actually, let me step back one, for a second to Bitcoin. People might say, well, you can make money mining. Um, and that's true. But mining, you're actually providing a service. So you're actually a, a business as a, of your own. So that's not you're not investing in Bitcoin and participating in any of the mining rewards unless you have mining equipment. And to do that, uh, you can go listen to some of my other podcasts discussing the mining or, or read up on it. But uh, you have to buy hardware. Uh, you have to plug it in. You have to uh, connect to a pool. Uh, you have to you know, manage that uh, piece of hardware. You have to um, manage uh, all aspects of IT related to keeping that up and running. You have to, uh, like I said, purchase the hardware. So you have this capital cost. And then you have cash flow that's, uh, that occurs as a result of your mining. So you're actually, if you're doing it you know, at home as a one-person uh, deal, then you're just a sole proprietor. If you start an operation, you buy a facility, you you know get a thousand of these things, and you plug them all in, and you know get someone to manage all the IT infrastructure. You get security, um, you pay for electricity uh, each month. Then you're a business, and so you're not actually investing in Bitcoin. You're investing in a mining operation or an IT service that is servicing the financial or technical market of Bitcoin, if you will. So keep those things separate. Um, it's actually the same with the proof of states proof of stake systems where if you're going to be a block validator you need to have hardware you need to run your nodes you need to make sure that you have security you have things that you need to do and, and not to mention you need to have a certain amount of um, of the underlying coin to stake and so again you're running a business that is supporting the infrastructure around that platform so uh, I'm looking at it more and more for these platform plays like again neo ethereum tezos those sort of smart contracts uh some of them have mining right now uh, ethereum and that'll switch over to proof of stake at some point is what they're saying and tezos will launch with proof of stake and eos will launch with proof of stake and neo has proof of stake so all of these you know have these aspects whereas neo is really the only one i think where you don't actually have to do anything to um, get, say, gas, but you know, I won't, I won't dive too much into that. It's actually a little bit of an anomaly, and I'm not sure I agree with just giving out, uh, you know, kind of this interest just f simply for holding the coins and not doing anything other than, or not doing anything even validating blocks or anything of that nature. So let's just focus on uh, proof of stake systems where you're a block validator. Um, you don't actually, like I said, make money um, unless you're doing, you know, validation and that has some risks and it has some things that you have to do and you're providing a service to the network. And as, this, as the uh, network grows, say Ethereum, um, then, you know, you get more money, presumably, uh, by fees, depending on, you know, how the monetary policy develops um, with proof of stake. And then, you know, the block rewards will go down over time, but eventually you, you should be, you know... Uh, kept afloat with the fees and because you're not burning electricity um, you really don't have too much reoccurring costs other than your opportunity cost with all the coin that you're holding so say it's a thousand bucks ether and you have to have you know a thousand to stake um, that's a million bucks of capital that you need to have sitting in ether that is subject to volatility and other things and maybe um, the launch futures for those so you can kind of hedge some of that currency volatility that would be very good um, and with that, you're going to get some sort of interest or dividend. And again, that's the way that I see that you could invest in it as a venture versus, you know, any other way. There's really no other way other than holding Ether and just hoping it appreciates. But then again, that's a trade. 
So again, with Bitcoin, you have to be mining for it to be kind of this venture that it's an investable business, if you will. Um, Ether, you have to be a validator and you have to have a certain amount of coin. And so you have, you know, again, this opportunity cost with how much capital you need to allocate. And then you have a service that you need to provide. But just holding Ether in and of itself is simply a trade. And both of those, both Bitcoin and Ethereum, benefit from um, growth in the network. More users, more fees, uh, more that you will be paid as a service provider, a miner, or a validator. Okay, so um, for those two, uh, that's kind of my, my thoughts on you know how you could invest or how you could trade. But again, as I started this um, podcast, I talked a bit about you know what are the real benefits to these things. And I'm I'm gonna because I'm going a little long here, I'm gonna focus just on those two for this for this podcast. But is Ethereum really better than kind of a centralized asset management system? And someone could say, oh you have these other things too like CryptoKitties and other applications that are on top of it. It's like, well are any of those applications should they even be, you know, on a blockchain? Should CryptoKitties be on a blockchain? Or should, you know, any of these uh, exchanges, ERC-20, you know, kind of decentralized exchanges, should they be decentralized exchanges? Should they be on Ethereum? Um, should people be raising money um, through ICO sort of things uh, on the blockchain or on Ethereum? And are those tokens even worth anything, you know? Um is it going to become cumbersome to do that where you have to file a whole bunch of paperwork? Um, you basically have to go public and then no one in the U.S. at least will be able to do ICOs. And so you kind of lose this big value proposition, at least for U.S. customers. I know the rest of the world's a little bit more lax. Maybe the U.S. will uh, uh, relax some of the rules around that. But you basically have um, a glorified or uh, I don't want to ding it too much, but you kind of have this blockchain kickstarter that's kind of what ethereum's killer app was and is at the current moment and so is it better to have just a centralized system where you just go and people can list their stuff and they can you know allocate these tokens and you just use a centralized database um yeah i mean you could do it i mean you you would lose some of the redundancy you lose some of the security and the immutable aspects and so you would lose stuff but you could do it on a centralized system and people do do it on a centralized system you know with the uh, typical stock market so it is possible, but you don't. You have borders and some other things. So, so there there are pros and cons. You know, with Ethereum, it's kind of this free willing. You know, anyone can kind of do it, create their own ICO, go public, if you will, um, within the constraints of whatever their country's rules are. Um, if they don't like their country's rules, they can go somewhere else and do it, and uh, that's fine. But uh, is there a distinct value proposition for it outside of the current inf- existing infrastructure or a centralized system? I think that's something that people really need to, you know, uh, drive home is because what's ultimately going to happen is this this uh, industry is going to mature and you're going to have, again, all the other competitors that you have, you know, the big players. And either, the, either those big players like Google, Facebook, all these folks are just going to adopt the blockchain technology and deploy their own, you know, blockchains, or um, these decentralized ones are going to actually find their place. It is going to be that Ethereum manages or houses or you know, tr- uh, you know, has certain um, assets on its blockchain. It's going to be that Bitcoin is this 
digital currency um, you know that just sits along the US dollar and the euro and these others it's known worldwide it's kind of this digital currency people trust it and accept it and it has a good track record and you can pay for things you know with the second layer and third layer sort of scaling and if people want to they can put things in smart contracts or do little things on top of it but it doesn't uh, really change the fundamental core functionality of the uh, Bitcoin protocol so say those are the two cases I think you know Bitcoin has a stronger um, use case, ironically, um, I think, because it's not as sophisticated. It's more simple, I would say, than, you know, Ethereum or smart contract sort of platforms or even third generation stuff. But Ethereum, it's um, uh, it's not really a good application platform for building real applications. Um, it's good for doing short, small sort of programs because you have to pay for how much, you know, compute you use. And so it, it is good for this asset, asset sort of uh, transfer, creation, trading, all of these things. Uh, I think it'll have a place for that. I think it'll be around for a while. Um, but it's not really an application platform. And that's where we look at EOS and these others. And then you have to look at these applications. And then again, I think it becomes even more important for application-based uh, uh, blockchain technology or platform, not platforms, uh, applications, um, dApps, if you will. Uh, it becomes very, very important to do a real analysis and discern whether using blockchain technology is just you know, an easy way to raise money and create buzz or if it really is the best um, tool for the particular um, product or service or software, whatever it is that you're trying to deploy. And I think people are going to have to be very honest about that in the years to come and being able to discern real real competitive advantage and real sustainability um, when considering the advantages that blockchain provides those those applications those platforms those currencies or whatever the case may be those are the ones that are ultimately going to survive and i think a lot of these technologies and a lot of these tokens um, like a lot of people are saying are going to be damn near close to worthless and so i think that's where a lot of people are going to be burned at the end of the day is when it kind of shakes out the reality hits more at the fundamental level where it's, it's going to be based on the applications and products that um, are out there that are functioning that are developing wide networks and and like i said it's going to be very important to understand that established companies can very easily create their own blockchain and deploy those whether it's a proof of stake or proof of work or whatever system it is they can easily deploy what they're calling these enterprise blockchains and really render a lot of the projects that are currently out there you know moot you know, UPS can do their own logistics supply chain blockchain if they really want to, and they already have a network out there. And that's really one of the big things to kind of conquer is generating a network. The technology is kind of advancing. It's going to continue to advance because it's, you know, all of these combined are essentially a bunch of open source projects and people just take, you know, the best pieces of whatever comes up within each project. And so we're still iterating towards kind of this master you know blockchain sort of linux sort of operating system and maybe it's eos and maybe it's you know neo or maybe it's ethereum or maybe it's tezos or whatever it is we're all borrowing from the same code base essentially we're all developing things and when we develop them someone else can borrow them because they're under you know in this open license so what's ultimately i see with blockchain is that it's going to be kind of this linux flavor um and this linux flavor is going to be, you know, 
uh, brewed for different things, right? Different applications. It's going to be free to take and use by anyone. Uh, the protocols and the systems like Ethereum or Bitcoin or these others that are existing and that are actually being you know, kind of this platform, those will continue to exist and they will have to have carved out particular niches. But the application side of things, I think, I think, and when I say application, it's kind of the, these tokens and ICOs and all these like that are trying to disrupt these established industries. The established players may just take you out, right? It's it's um, it's pretty easy for them to do that. And once they have all the bits and pieces, they just you know take the open source stuff. They uh, again think of Linux as an analogy. They get some folks that understand it and they throw it together their um, their their uh, um, application that they want to be on blockchain. Um, and then the people, once again, who are going to be rewarded are the people who are supporting the infrastructure, either the miners or the validators. And so I keep coming back to that because my gut feeling is that the people who are establishing you know, the infrastructure for this technology or who own the infrastructure for this technology or participate in the infrastructure for this technology are ultimately going to be the ones that uh, have the longer lifespan than the people who um, are simply you know, just trading, you know, the tokens, participating in ICOs, you know, those folks, they're just, in my opinion, not strong correlations between the long-term value of these tokens or, you know, whatever the case may be and the, um, and, and just cash flow or dividends or anything, right? They don't have any of those. Um, it's just speculative value and that can go on for quite some time and, you know, people can trade those, but, um, I think it'll. I think it'll come back down to earth for a lot of these that just uh, um, don't have massive networks or don't have, you know, established networks as a corporate company de- deploying some sort of enterprise blockchain. So I guess those are my thoughts. Um, kind of a straight through ramble here, but um, haven't put out a podcast in a bit, so maybe those thoughts are useful to people. But the takeaway here is to really, really, really think about um, what are actual investments in this space what are just you know clever ways of raising money to build your platform and calling it a utility token or something to that effect or some sort of security token or whatever you want to call it you know be very careful there and and then trying to understand you know typical or traditional you know investment um uh, sort of vehicles with stocks or bonds or whatever else that may be that you know they have very well-defined structures they have things that are behind them they have things that people look at to value them and again it doesn't mean that something you know that's a token or otherwise can't have value it's just that it's not the same thing and and be sure to separate the value of something that is tied to um, either staking or validating or you know mining from uh, the actual cash flow that you would get from just holding the coin because I, I don't think most people are going to participate and any of that cash flow that requires infrastructure because it's going to require a certain amount of complexity. Um, it's going to require a certain amount of work and security and all these other things. So those are my thoughts um, at the moment, still thinking about uh, this industry overall. And I'm still invested in lots of different uh, coins and I have my favorites. And as I'm going through this analysis, I'm actually paring that down more and more and looking at what's realistic, uh, having very, you know, small, reasonable bets on things that are, you know, uh, that have more uncertainty in my mind and that have more risk, um, and then uh, getting a little bit heavier in things that I think are more established and that are going to have, you know, these five to ten year cycles, and I think Bitcoin's definitely one of those, and, and the rest of them, I'm, I'm not too sure actually at this point, you know, what their cycles will be. There's definitely ones where you can make very good trades, 
but ones that are good investments, um, that's tough. That's tough to figure out. Uh, it might be just investing in uh, ventures that come about um, that uh, use blockchain technology or um, traditional companies that are, uh, you know, going to benefit, you know, for example, um, something like NVIDIA or AMD, even though NVIDIA is really through the roof at this point for a number of reasons, but there may be, you know, uh, secondary or, or tertiary sort of companies that uh, are exposed to blockchain that are more traditional that might be good investments. So with that, I'll close out this blo- uh, this podcast. And as always, you know, I don't haven't been posting too much on Facebook and Twitter, but I always post when I uh, uh, deploy a new podcast. So follow there at Blackchain Co. Um, the website is always Blackchain Co. Have been a little bit, uh, you know, not as diligent about posting things, but uh, if you go there, you sign up, you uh, um, and you follow, you'll be the first to know about new stuff. And then also when I finally get around to deploying some real hard written information. The reason I haven't done that so far is, you know, I'm still figuring this out. And I don't like to put out information that I'm not sure of or that's not well vetted. And, you know, it, nothing's ever 100%, but this is evolving so much. And the, and the thoughts and the, and the dynamics are evolving uh, to such a degree that I'd rather not put out information than put out bad information. So with that said, uh, I'll close out and I look forward to uh, next time.